We are thankful to see each one here this morning. Desire your prayers. We're going to turn to just a couple places. Might refer to a few others. But go and begin in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Before we read, we do want to look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you this day, Father, we're so thankful for the many wonderful things that you've done for us. Father, you've been good to us so much better than we deserve. And Father, we pray that you would lead, guide, and direct in the service. Father, you know the need better than we do. And Father, we pray that we could preach your message in the power and demonstration of your Holy Spirit. That lost souls could be burdened, that they could see their need of Jesus. And we that are saved, that we could be strengthened, encouraged, and that we could draw closer as a body and be that that you would have us to be. Father, we ask for these blessings, and we ask it all in the name of Jesus, for He is worthy. Amen. Excuse us. We are going to turn, as we said, to Hebrews chapter 13. I'm going to read one verse here, and it's a verse that's dealing with ministers. It's not the only one. I could have turned back over in Romans and read a few and dealt with some things there, but this one kind of gets some things across. In verse 17 of Hebrews 13, it says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy, and not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. Uh, I will say this, I, I know we probably look at pastoral authority a lot different than uh, maybe independent Baptists and some others do, and, and I do. I, I don't believe, I've seen churches where uh, the pastor, you know, decides who comes and preaches as far as revivals and things of that nature. They tell the church who to support on mission work. And they even have charge of the whole finances. Basically, the church knows nothing except what the pastor does. And I don't believe in that. I don't believe in it that way. But I'll tell you what I do believe. The preacher, the under-shepherd, watches for your soul. Now, I believe that. I believe that he has authority to preach whatever God gives him, as long as it's scriptural. Now, he is accountable to the Word of God, and I believe that uh, a man of God is certainly able to be taken to task over what he preaches by the Word of God. Uh, but to throw something a preacher says away, a minister of God says away, you, you've got to have some good calls. You've got to be able to take Scripture and say what he preached was false, and here's why it's false. Not just my opinion or... Your opinion, and this is the same thing I do with my pastor, Brother Mike, at my home church. Uh, if I can't take Scripture and tear it down, I'm going to accept it and try to apply it. I try to do that. I try to respect the office that he holds. I also try to respect the fact that he is a watcher for my soul. And as a watchman, I know there's things to preach about that. Back in Ezekiel chapter 3 and chapter 33, about whether he'll blow the trumpet and warn the people or whether he will not. And that shows you whether a man is faithful or not. Uh, but there is a certain observation. People say, well, why am I going to obey my pastor? He's not God. Well, if he's preaching the word of God, he's trying to watch for your souls. If you believe he's preaching messages that God has sent him, then we've got to obey it. And I will say a lot of damage has been done over the years because people try to tear apart preachers because they try to preach the truth. Now, I'm not saying that's the cause here, and I'm not trying to preach, I guess, moreover, just giving us a warning. But I have seen people not trust in Christ because on the way home, you know, 
family had roasted preacher for lunch. And they wanted to talk, well, that preacher shouldn't have preached that. Well, that preacher shouldn't have said that. Well, he shouldn't have preached this message. I'll tell you what, you tell that to a bunch of lost people for a while, they're not going to listen much. And it's going to do a lot of damage. And I try to be very careful. There's a lot of information that I come across as a minister, even of other preachers. And I think, man, what if that man comes and preaches a revival where I'm at? What if that man preaches a revival at my home church? I don't want to do something that would hinder my children from listening to the message. Uh, because it could be a good message. It could be a message that's directed towards them. It could be a message that points them to Christ. I don't want to do something that would be a hindrance or a stumbling block to that. And so I, I try to be very careful with what my children hear. And what I say before them. And I try to also uphold the office of a minister. And I try to say if something's scriptural, I try to amen it. I try even on the way home, if we leave church, well, this was a good message. Here's some points that were good in it and, and try to bring that out. I want them to have confidence in my pastor at home. I want them to have confidence in other men that they hear preach the gospel. When somebody comes to our home church and preaches a revival and we're there, I like them to know if something was said that's good, I'll say, well, that was a true message on salvation or that was a true message about godly living and things of this nature, but if I'm not careful, I can do things that can be a hindrance to my children, not only them, but if I say it more than that, it could be a hindrance to other brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I know that there is false teaching. I know that Paul talked about people whose mouths must be shut, who are preaching heresy and things of that nature. I know that we have to make stands on those ends sometimes, but we have to be very careful this gospel is a precious word. It's a precious, precious message. And how we speak about the church, how we speak about the preachers, how we speak about uh, the pastor of a church, whatever it might be, uh, we have to be very careful. I remember when I first surrendered to preach, I had a pastor at the time, not even going to bring up his name. Um, but overall, we got along pretty well. But there was a time he preached some things that I just didn't agree with. I didn't. I don't even know if my wife knew much about it. Um, I, I I went to him privately. I tried to deal with some things in Bible study between me and him privately. And we had great respect for one another. When he put me up to preach when I was at my home church, everybody thought we got along as well as anybody could get along. And we did, for the most part. We did. Uh, but we had times we had disagreements. But... Not everybody in the church needed to know that. It wouldn't have been edifying for that body. It wouldn't have been helpful to the church. And so we tried to deal with those things very carefully and try to be respectful for one another, mainly respecting the office of a minister. It's the main thing we were looking at because I knew that he desired to watch for our souls. I knew that he had that burden upon him. And no two men are going to agree on every single point. I haven't met a man I agree with every single point yet. There's some that's pretty close, but I haven't met a preacher yet that we agree on everything. I just haven't met that. Even me and my dad. Me and my dad have discussed Scripture several times, and even things that we disagreed on over the years. Sometimes I might see his point of view and, and come by Scripture to... Closer to where he's at, sometimes it's been the opposite. That he said, you know what, I've been studying that over and what you said made a lot of sense. I can remember uh, conversations that 
uh, Brother Everett and Brother James Broom had several times, and they were even family. They didn't see eye to eye on everything, but they had great respect for one another, and mainly respecting the office and knowing that they were watching for people's souls and they were looking out for them. And I'll say this: main burden is not just to follow, follow that line of thinking, but there is a certain rule that a man of God has to preach the truth, encourage people to walk into the truth. And that, that rule needs to be respected. And he says, notice this, submit yourselves. Submit yourselves to that. That doesn't mean anything they preach. I, I think about when Paul preached, and I, I, think, about, I think about those, I believe it was uh, the Brians, if my memory serves me correct, in the book of Acts, that they searched those things out that they preached and taught. Search the Scriptures to see if those things were true or not. Y'all know I've encouraged that here. I will continue to encourage that. I don't want you to accept something just because I said it. That's not what he's talking about here. But when you know a man has preached something from Scripture, it is the Word of God, it's good for you to submit to it. It's good for you to obey it. He said, For they watch for your souls as they that must give account... And I believe that with all my heart. I believe one day I'm going to give an account for every message that I've ever preached. I believe that. I believe it because it's Scripture. I believe I'm going to be held accountable by what I've taught people and what I've said to them and what I've proclaimed before them. And if it's not Scripture, I'm going to suffer loss because of that. But if it be Scripture, it's profitable. But he said that they must give an account that they may do it with joy. And notice that part. Do it with joy. <laughs> I, I tell you what, it's, it's a lot easier. It doesn't matter whether it's in family, whether it's in church or anything else. When you've got one person that's in command, and I know Christ is the ultimate head of the church, and I certainly want to uphold that. And even as a husband, even in my home, though I'm the head of the home, Christ is the head of me. And I try to follow those things. But I tell you what, it's a lot easier when people follow leadership. Follow Christ. As Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. It is a lot easier to lead people when they're willing to follow. But when you try to have 20 or 30 chiefs in the same body, you're going to have big problems, aren't you? It's going to be hard to get anywhere. There's got to be one leadership. And again, I know that Christ is the head of that leadership. And I've never asked anybody to violate their conscience before God for anything and never will. But I do ask people, there is certain authority given unto ministers. And as long as they are preaching scriptural, as long as they are preaching the truth, you need to follow it and you need to do it with joy. Why? He said, don't let it be with grief for that is unprofitable. Now notice he say unprofitable for the minister. It's not what he said. He said, unprofitable for you. There are those that wrestle against the Scripture. There are those that fight against it. And they do great damage. Whether it's a lost soul that's wanting to live out in the world in sin, or whether it's a saved person that doesn't want to accept things that are rightly divided and in the truth of Scripture. If a man's having to fight all kinds of different battles left and right, it makes it where it's unprofitable for the church. It's unprofitable for the individual that won't follow the things that are right, right and true by the Word of God. And a lot of people don't realize 
And Paul talked about this with Timothy. Peter talked about it in his writings. He said they wrestle against the scripture. They fight against these things. He says they do these things to their own hurt. There's a lot of people that say, well, I don't like that in Scripture. I don't really feel convicted about that. I don't want to follow it. Well, when you're fighting against what's clear in Scripture, you're fighting against yourself. You're fighting against your own relationship with God. You're fighting against God blessing in the church, doing a lot of damage. So we need to make sure that when a man preaches the word of truth, and it is of the word of God, that he can do it with joy and not with grief. I think about the Apostle Paul as he told the church at Corinth that he didn't want to come unto them bringing the sword, did he? He didn't want to come unto them being brash in the pulpit and having to deal with a lot of problems and issues. He would have rather they accepted the truth and would have repented in some things. Why? He said, then I can move on and teach you some meteor things of the Word of God. We can grow in grace. We can grow in knowledge. We can grow in some other things. But if I'm having to go back and teach you about the basic things of doctrine, and I'm having to go back and trying to force you, force feed you, so to speak, the basic things of the Word of God, what happens to the church? How are they profiting? How are they growing? How are they maturing? It's hindered, isn't it? He said, I don't want to do that. He said, but if I have to, I will. And there's sometimes, there's some people that think preachers get a joy out of having one of those rebuking messages. You know, where we pound the pulpit and this person over here is wrong. And there's no joy in that. I'll be honest, I've had to preach messages like that before. I've had to rebuke people. I've had to sit there and cry tears while preaching from the pulpit to people. And I tell you what, there's no joy in that. There's no joy in that whatsoever. But when you can see that the church is growing and maturing and things are going well, you're looking at some other things and God will place it on your heart and say, now I want you to teach them this. Now I want you to teach them that. And I tell you what, that gets to be a joy. <laughs> because you get to move on in some things and it's joyful because you're seeing that people are growing, they're maturing, you're seeing souls saved, you're seeing a lot of good accomplished I think about Jeremiah as the weeping prophet. You think there were some messages he would have rather preached than the ones he got to deliver? But for his time, he had to preach those things, didn't he? And the people wouldn't even hear it. There's a reason he's called the weeping prophet. He had to do all that. and There was not a lot of joy involved, was it? But it would have been more profitable for the people if they would have obeyed the Word of God. If they would have repented, then he could have had some joyful times. I tell you, as a minister, I want joyful times. I want times when we're hugging people that have just trusted Christ. I want some times when we see people that's walking close to the Lord. That they're drawing close to them and they're leaving things off of their life and putting on the things of God in their life. I tell you what, that's joyful times. I get as much joy out of seeing a person grow in Christ as I do out of seeing a person saved. Those are joyful times. But if you see people in sin, if you see people addicted to drugs, this one's addicted to pornography, this one's got hatred and malice, this one's backbiting, this one's arguing with this member, and these two are fighting over here, well, that's not joy, is it? That's grief. 
And people say, yeah, that's not fun for the preacher. No, that's not what it said here. He said it's unprofitable for you. We want things that are profitable. We want things that are beneficial. On the same token, turning over to 1 Peter chapter 5, and Paul trying to encourage the elders as he is an elder also, he says in verse 1, First Peter chapter 5, he says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. He said, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. Notice that statement, the oversight. There's some sight that's given unto ministers. There's an oversight, an overviewing There's some authority that's giving there, isn't there? Because you're watching for people. I had a man years ago that I pastored that I went to talk to him because he had stopped coming to church. And he said, Preacher, you got no right to come over here and talk to me about this. I said, I got every right. I said, I've got every right. By Scripture, I have the oversight of that, don't I? I'm watching for his souls. I've got every right to be there and wonder where he's at. He said, feed the flock of God, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint. Notice that. Not by constraint, but willingly. There's some people who feel like, well, there's some things I've got to do. I've often tried to critique that if I ever hear a preacher make that statement. Well, you know, I've got to go do this. (laughs) No, you don't. But you should want to. If I've got to preach a certain message and it's the message of God, I want to do it willingly. I want to say, God, you being in it, give me the grace and strength, let me deliver it. I want to do it willingly. If I've got to correct somebody, reprove somebody, encourage somebody, whatever it is, in no matter what case, I want to do it willingly. Well, i got to do it. No. I get to do this. I love this person. I care about this person. And I want to help them. I want to be a blessing to them. And notice this statement, not for filthy lucre. It can never be about money. It can never be about lifted, being lifted up, any type of prestige in society or anything like that. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. And I would say not only a ready mind, but a ready heart. Then he makes this statement, neither as being lords over God's heritage. And that's where... Sometimes people say, well, you don't have rule over us. What does lordship mean? When you talk about lords, we don't deal with lords as much anymore in society, but for a long time in history, lords meant something. This person's a lord in your area. This person is your lord. (laughs) I mean, these were men that could come grab you up and make you go to war if they so wanted to, to protect their lands. That's what a lord did. A lord could charge you rent for living on their property. And that's what he's saying. You can't be a lord over somebody if, oh, you got to pay me to pray for you. You got to do certain, you know, you got to render unto me certain things. No, I'm not a lord over somebody else. And also, I'm not a king over you. I have, I can't make you do anything. But the balance there between not being a lord over somebody and having rule over somebody. There's a balance there. 
I have authority to come to somebody and tell them they're wrong, don't I? I have the authority to stand in a pulpit and preach the gospel truth, whether it offends somebody, hurts somebody's feelings, or whether it encourages them. I have the authority to preach the truth of the Word of God. I have the authority to go to church members and tell them when they're in sin, when they're in wrong, take Scripture and try to help them. I've got some authority there, but here's the limit to it. I can't make you do anything. That same man that didn't come to church, I couldn't make him come to church, could I? I couldn't. A person that's living in sin, while I can go to them and tell them what they're doing is wrong and how evil it is and how wrong it is, and really maybe even be harsh to them a little bit. Sometimes tough love is needed. But I can't make them do right, can I? I don't have that authority. And I also can't tell them, well, if you want me to pray for you or you want this blessing, you want me to pray for God's blessing on you, you've got to pay me a certain amount of money, you've got to treat me a certain way. Can't do that either because I'm not a Lord over you. I don't have any power over you or control over you as far as that's concerned. But I do have rule over you as your pastor. That statement being, I can tell you when something's out of the way. I have all authority to tell you doing something wrong if you are. I have all authority to come to you when you're hurting and say I'm praying for you and try to encourage you. I have that authority. I have that rule. And if a person does that right, neither is being lords over God's heritage, and I also like to use this part, the last part of verse 3, but being in samples to the flock. I, I, I'm, I like history. I like reading history. You know, used to the generals went into battle with the soldiers. That's how it used to be. And even used to be, you go before that, the kings went into battles with the soldiers. They actually fought and they would go into the battles with the men. I believe that has a lot to do with how God teaches His, His people to do. I don't believe I should ever ask something out of other people that I'm not willing to do myself. I don't believe I should ever do that. I believe the greatest leaders throughout all history is people who lead by example. You even look at Christ. Why do we follow Christ? Well, He suffered the temptations that we suffer. He was tempted in all points, even as we were, yet without sin. He didn't avoid temptation. He faced it. He he didn't avoid opposition. He didn't avoid his enemies. He faced that. He was persecuted. He was killed for standing up for the truth. Uh, Jesus set a great example before us. Not my will, Father, but thy will be done. He set the example. That's one of the things I love about Christ is Christ has never asked anything out of me that he hasn't first given And it's one of the reasons I love to follow Christ is because He set the example that I can follow. But I also believe that as ministers, it's our responsibility to set examples. I shouldn't ask you to ask other people to come to church and invite other people to come hear the Word of God if I'm not willing to ask somebody. Brother James Broom told me years ago, he said, Son, you cannot lead a church to be more spiritual than you're willing to be. Is that not what it's saying? Be in samples to the flock. You can't lead people further than you're willing to go. That's what a shepherd does, isn't it? A shepherd does what? He leads the flock 
Who has to go through the valley of the shadow of death first? The sheep or the shepherd? The shepherd. Who goes down to check the water before the sheep get there? The shepherd does. Who goes to see if there's any wolves or lions or or bears or whatever it might be that you might face? Who goes down there first to see where the danger is? The shepherd does. And a good shepherd is willing to lead the sheep. And if we do it correctly, when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. But that's only if we've led properly. And those that lead properly, according to Scripture, are counted worthy of double honor. I used that verse of Scripture while I was over in Kenya. There's a few men that I found over there that I consider that they're worthy of double honor. There's men that I respect and appreciate, but there's some men that I've seen them go above and beyond, so to speak, the call of duty. And I say, well, that man's worthy of double honor. He's worthy of double respect. Because of how he has stood, the adversities he's faced, what he's overcome. The Bible teaches that. And I think we've probably had some of that in our life, even with men of God. And Let me say this, I don't know who you have respect for or not. But have you ever seen somebody so live for God that they went on a different level to you? Y'all can probably guess some of mine. I thought that way of Brother James Broom. I really felt about him. Not that he was a perfect man. He wasn't a man without air. But I didn't see too many other men waking up at the hours he did and studying and being at the hospitals and visiting with people. I, I didn't see that with too many others. My respect for Brother Buddy and his studying and, and how he did, and I, I could go through and list a, a few more, but there was a few men that I just, I tell you what, I, I put them on a place of double honor. It's because of how they stood and what they stood for. How they lived. I think a man of God, a minister of the gospel, should be willing to set the example for the flock. And if I lose my temper with somebody because they're not doing something that I'm not doing, I'm a hypocrite then. That's what God would call it, a hypocrite. Wasn't that the problem he had with the Pharisees and scribes? They had all these high standards, but they didn't live up to them themselves, did they? That was a problem, wasn't it? He said, y'all got all these high standards and you're putting them on other people. He said, but you don't do them yourselves. He called them vipers and hypocrites. As much as a minister of the gospel should have the rule over the flock that he pastors, he understands that the first person that he's responsible to make sure that they're walking with God is himself. To set the example. To be an end sample to the flock. We need to make sure, and you say, Preacher, why are you teaching all these things? We're not all ministers. We don't know that. But you should know what's expected out of a minister of God. You should know what he should be doing. It is not right for me to ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do. 
whether it's reading, studying, suffering, uh, sharing the gospel, carrying it uh, to people, inviting other people to come. There shouldn't be anything I ask out of you that I'm not willing to do myself. If I ask you to love one another, I better set the example by loving you myself. If I ask you to be long-suffering and compassionate and care for one another, whatever it is that I ask, I should first show that myself. It should be that way. And if I do it correctly, and I rule well, as God has given that place, then the other side of that is, if I'm doing it correctly and well, shouldn't the following be done well too? All of that in its proper order. But if it's done correctly, shouldn't you say, I've got confidence in that man. I see that man serving God. I see that man studying. He's preaching from the Word of God. If you get to a line that you can see that, whether it's a man that comes and preaches a revival, whether that's a person that pastors here, whatever it is, if you can see that, shouldn't you want to follow it that it would be well with you? We should. But if we bite and devour one another, if people try to have roasted preacher for lunch and all the other things and try to be fault finders, whether it's of church members or pastors or whatever it might be, we can devour one another. We can be consumed one of another. As we even mentioned that Tuesday night. We need to make sure that we're doing it in a scriptural fashion that honors the Lord and does good for us all. And certainly we need to judge this, that we be not a stumbling block or a hindrance to our brother and sister in Christ, and even going beyond that, that we not be a hindrance to some lost soul from trusting Christ. I'd hate to say something about another minister or about a church or whatever it might be that would hinder my children from trusting in Jesus when the time comes. I'd hate that. And not only my children, I'd hate to do that to somebody else's child. Because their soul is just as valuable as my children's soul is. We need to be careful with this gospel. We need to use it rightly, correctly, from the pulpit out. This is a precious word. This is the good news This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what leads people to salvation. This is the church, the pillar and the ground of the truth. We've been given something precious. We need to make sure we take care of it correctly in everything that we do. Pray for me that I would respect the church, that I would respect the ministry, that I would respect the things of God. And that way I would behave myself in a way that would not be a hindrance or a stumbling block to you as a church or to some lost soul. But also I have the responsibility of setting an example for the rest of the body. And a lot of times people say, well, if I want to know something about that church, I'll just go find a member of it. And we need to ask ourselves, how well do we represent where we go? You know, a good name is something that's to be treasured, isn't it? You know there's people that have tore down the name of their church because when they leave it, they go out in the community and tear it down. 
tear the pastor down, tear, tear the church members down. You can't do that and then have people want to come to it. But if you say this is a place where it's people I love, the preacher, he preaches the truth, he upholds the Word of God, he gives us the messages we need to hear, I tell you what, all of a sudden that seems attractive to people, doesn't it? Well, that might be a place I'd like to go. That might be a place I'd like to visit. We need to take good care of what's been given to us. And that begins with me on out. Let's pray for one another. Encourage one another. And if you're here and lost, I'll tell you what, you might have heard somebody, and it might have been me, I hope not, but you might have heard somebody talk bad about a preacher or bad about a church member, whatever it might be. I'll tell you who you can't hear something bad about, and that's Christ. Christ died for you. He died to save your soul no matter what anybody else has done or not done. Remember what Christ has done for you. He paid it all for you. And if you had by faith believe in Him, He would save you and give you everlasting life. This is the burden God's given us. If you'd have anything upon your heart, I invite you to come. I have verse of a song.